Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. We have the amazing actor Sal Sergia joining us tonight, and he is also a prolific singer-songwriter, composer, and a multi-instrumentalist. So it's going to be awesome to have him on the show tonight. He should be calling, calling in momentarily. Um, so to start the show out, let me do a little bit of background. I started the show approximately three years ago because I really wanted to create a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry to support and promote them. A little bit about myself. I have my doctorate degree in clinical psychology and uh, one of the things I really enjoy doing is using my interviewing skills. Um, just to throw this out there, my show is purely meant for entertainment purposes. We're not doing any formal therapy or treatment. Um, so sometimes we will use some educational uh, stuff in terms of talking about maybe some psychological terms, and especially with some of the roles that Sal has played, I might ask him some questions about the uh, characters um, and their mental state, so to speak. But other than that, the show is purely meant for entertainment purposes. And the other thing I wanted to just throw out there is I really am passionate about the entertainment industry. Um, I have an album out as a singer-songwriter. I do some writing for some magazines. And then the other thing that I do is the radio show. So on my show, you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. And uh, a couple of things, too, to just uh, keep in mind is I want my guests to feel, you know, down to earth, feel free to talk about whatever they'd like, but um, to just keep any... Specifically, if you're going to talk about an embarrassing or humiliating story, just to keep it anonymous um, in terms of identifying people. We don't want to really embarrass or humiliate anyone. Um, so, if you're tuning in, create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com, and you can also call in tonight at 805-243-1320. And um, again, I am a one-person show. Um, but hold on a second. Sal is trying to call in, and it looks like he's having some difficulties. And uh, my computer is having some technical difficulties tonight, too, for some reason. So just hold in. Hold on one second. Um, hold on. For some reason, he's trying to call in. 805-243-1320. Yep, that's the correct number. Hold on. Let me just uh, let him know that's the correct number. Okay. So we're waiting for Sal to call in. So let me give some background information on him, why he is trying to call in. So Sal, as I mentioned in the beginning, he is an actor, and he's also a very talented musician. Um, he actually started out in the music industry uh, 25 years prior, before, prior to him getting into acting. And uh, his band was called Crystal Eyes. They had performed at major venues, including the Limelight, CBGBs, and Kenny Castaways. And he's been um, doing that for a really long time. He composes a lot of music for films and movies. He also still gets out there and does some uh, singer-songwriting stuff, too. So he didn't actually begin his career in acting until 2001. And uh, he'll talk a little bit tonight about why he chose to start his career a little later in the industry. Um, So... We're going to get into that. Some of the roles that he has been featured in, and people will know HBO's hit series, Oz. He was featured as Sal the Wise Guy during seasons four, five, and six. He's also appeared on a VH1 promo show, along with being interviewed on two of their other shows, 
titled Feedback and Newlyweds and Rock and Roll. Other parents' style has had include NBC's Law and Order and Ed. I mean, the list just goes on with this guy. He's just in everything and anything. He's also been on cable show appearances. Um, his first movie role was in a horror film titled Nico's the Impala. And he's done a lot of independent horror films, including The Tenement, Sins of the Father, and also had a starring role in Fairview Fall. He's appeared in The Coalition, starring Jeff Tuck Zito, and also presently he can be seen in the independent drama How to Grow a Fig Tree and the horror film Knock Knock. So if you haven't seen enough of Sal, um, I'm sorry, for some reason the, the thing is not letting him call into the station. Hold on one second. Um, what I'll do is I'm just going to take a break and I will play one of his songs so we can try to get this uh, thing connected for him. If you haven't seen enough of Sal, you can see him at major shows such as Chiller Theater and Fangoria. And for more information, go to themayorofrockandroll.com, and that's where you can find Sal. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a quick break. I wanted to play this song, and maybe we'll play it again later in the show, but I really want to help him for some reason be able to uh, call into the station. So everyone, check out his song, Gold Star Mothers, and this is a song that Sal was singing on and one that he wrote. Check it out. We'll be back in a moment.
All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show. Sorry about this this evening. Um, I've done over 300 interviews, and I've unfortunately never had this technical difficulty. But we do have Sal on the air, so I hope everyone enjoyed his song, Gold Star Mothers, and we will talk a little bit about that song later in the show so he can give everyone some background on it. It's a great track that he has. As I said, check him out. Go to the mayor of rockandroll.com, and that's uh, the mayor of rock and roll, just the letter N, roll.com. You can learn all about him. Be sure to check him out, too, on his podcast titled The Sal Sergio Show. So let's bring Sal on now. Can you hear me, Kerry? Yes, I can hear you. Welcome, Sal. Sorry about uh-huh. that. No, that's okay. I just got a little nervous. I was calling the number, and it kept saying, um, uh, within halfway through the number, it would say, sorry, your call cannot go through. Then it said, um, do you need a special carrier code or something to get to this number? I said, maybe it's just so wrong. But, yeah, that's yeah, weird, that right? It's funny because there's, um, there's a separate host call-in number that I use, and then that's the guest call-in number that I gave you, and it was correct. Um, so I apologize about that, but... Hey, there's a first time for everything. I've never done this before, and I was able to connect you, so that's a good thing. See, that's good. So because of me now, you learned how to call somebody if they just if they right. forget to call in. You could call them. <laughs> oh, thank yeah, you, Sal. Baby. Thank you. I was paranoid, uh, too, and I'm always paranoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I started calling it about uh, three or four minutes before you even started the show, like oh, about gosh, 6.50. I'm sorry. So, no, 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 that's not a big deal at all. <laughs> I'm just glad that we were, you were able to call me because I didn't know. I said, geez, what if, uh, if these numbers, what am I going to do? So that's why I said, let's see if I you know. can call me. And it worked out great. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's help you relax now, okay? I'm going to try to calm down, too, because we're both a little, uh, you know, amped up. Oh, I'm like this. I'm a, I, no, so, that's just the way I am, naturally. I'm a hypermaniac. No, I know. Fly. I, I, <laughs> I can tell from our, our, our private conversations, and I, I love you. I love your disposition and just – your enthusiasm, and you just always seem like you're in such good spirits and great sense of humor, so no, it's great. But, oh, uh, absolutely. Because we have a lot of ground to cover with you tonight. I did an amazing introduction, so you can, uh, if you didn't hear it, you can check it out after the uh, show's over and listen to the podcast. For sure. All right. So since you have so much to cover in terms of your music background and, and your acting and all that stuff, let's start out a little bit. Tell me just about yourself. You know, where did you grow up? You know, what were you like as a kid? And then we're going to start to transition into your music career since that's what you did first prior to getting into acting. Okay, this sounds like fun. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, this sounds great. All right, now let's go back into 1960. Hey, I know I know. people wow. are all saying that. Nah. How could it be? He only looks like he's 35 years old. But, that's uh, you right. Know, I, I think even younger. I would think that, even younger. Even on my that. show last night, you know, I tell everybody, I did my show last night, and I told everybody that I'm 25 years old with 33 <laughs> years of experience. So I told him, you got to do there the math. Go. I said, 25 and 33? <laughs> That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. So, yes, I was born November 1st, 1960, in Brooklyn, East New York. And uh, those were the, the fun days. I, my, you know, I, I have an older brother who's six years older than me, so growing up in the 60s was fun because, you know, even though I was a little kid, uh, my brother was into music before me, so, I mean, he got me into everything. So, you know, I, everything he, I, I followed him around everything he did, so, um, you know, the Beatles and came to 1964, and, and you know we watched that on the Ed Sullivan show. And you were going to ask me something just now? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Tell me a little bit about as you're talking about your brother and him inspiring you in, into getting into music. 
what was, you know, what type of instrument did he play? Was he also like you, this kind of multi-talented, you know, singer-songwriter? Well, yeah, well, Tony, uh, my brother Tony Searchy is on Facebook. He's a guitar player, and he's very talented, great songwriter, great guitar player, uh, great singer as well. I mean, most of, a lot of the songs that, that we wrote together, you know, are out there, and we were in the band together, but I mean... As a kid, you know, he was just, you know, he was just learning guitar as well in the 60s with everybody, you know, the Beatles were coming around and the, the monkeys on TV and, you know, the whole thing, mm-hmm. the Love and Spoonful, the Hermit's Hermit, so it was like a big uh, time for, for people, everybody wanted to play guitar. Everybody saw John Lennon doing that little bop with his Rickenbacker, so everybody wanted to kind of <laughs> do the same thing, you know? But I was just, I, I was, you know, now... I mean, he, you know, now it's a big difference because six years at this time doesn't, you know, it doesn't really show. But when you're a kid, I was like so, so small, and he was like a, a giant already. I mean, he was already you know, six years old. So when he, when I was, you know, uh, uh, five years old, he was already, you know, eleven or tw- whatever, right. twelve. So, um, but you know, we we did everything together, and we went to go see like you know the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, and the movie theaters when they first came out, and Help, and so. Okay, so I was born in in, in Brooklyn, East New York. Brooklyn, East New York was uh, in, in the '60s was very uh, was all mixed actually. A lot of Italians uh, where where I grew mm-hmm. up in East New York at the time, and uh, it was all mixed. though, not just Italians; it was all mixed. But the blocks that we lived on, like the whole block, was all Italian people, in which I speak it fluently and I also sing in Italian. I can, I write songs in Italian, and um, so that that just uh, you know growing up with that and listening to music and. We would uh, join the uh, the Columbia Record Clubs in the, in the TV Guide. Remember when uh, you got 12 albums in the mail? Wait, well, you're a young chick. You might not remember this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do. I am familiar because I remember my, my dad's father. This is a funny story. When he got older and he couldn't really see well anymore, he had been getting TV Guide for years. And I'll never forget, they made like a bigger version where the text mm-hmm. was like bigger, and he was so excited because he was some lifetime subscriber so they started sending him, like, these versions that were, like, four times the size of the regular TV guys. All right. So, but, no, I wouldn't remember the stuff you're talking about with getting the, the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I do remember seeing a TV guide. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're very, very, so much younger than me, and I keep thinking that everybody knows what I'm talking about with certain things. I mean, okay, That's you okay. probably remember. I mean, you've got to be, I mean, you, you know, the times where recently, well, recently, but quite a few years ago where, uh, you know, you took a nickel and you pasted it on you, on the thing. You join the clubs in the magazine. You get like twelve CDs in the mail, and and then you would, wow. you know, you you don't know about that either, huh? No, okay. no, I, I don't. Yeah, not from the, that's okay. Again, so you're probably like only twenty one years old then. Oh, thank you, but <laughs> well, you look at I'm looking at your CD. You look at anyway. Thanks. I'm looking at your CD. I have it right in front of me. I've been digging it. But get back to your question. Okay, okay. so uh, the '60s. Uh, you know, we would we would order these rec- these record clubs. They had Columbia Records. You would get like twelve albums in the mail for like a you know a nickel, and then you had to buy five of them at regular price. So so we would get all kind okay. of albums. I mean, we had never heard of the groups, so we we know were pop rock groups. So we would order it. So the Rolling Stones and and uh, you know uh, whoever else, Led Zeppelin at the time, the Who or whoever. So we would order all these albums, and that's why I started getting into so much different types of music. And then growing up more and more, uh, you know, back in, back in mid-70s, you know, um, I still was not, I started playing bass guitar. He, my brother taught me because uh, we had moved to Queens in 1975. 
And okay. uh, my brother was always playing guitar, but I never did. He had bands. He was in bands before, you know, I was even thinking about playing. So he had like a cover band, and then they would play parties here and there. But when I, when, uh, when 1975, we had a friend, John Burrow, who played drums directly next door to us, and my brother was playing guitar in the house, and he started shouting out from outside, hey, who's playing that guitar? He was like curious, but he's a drummer. So that started, that's how that mm-hmm. started. We, uh, they started jamming in the backyard on Sundays, him and John. So I wanted to join in. And I said, man, what I said to my brother, what could I play to be part of this whole thing? So he told me, why don't you nice. play bass? You know? So I bought a bass, guitar. I was like, I, was, I don't know what I was, about uh, uh, 1975, 15, 14, 15, something like that. And I, I, I learned a few notes here and there. And I was able to actually jam. And we'd go in the backyard every Sunday and just jam. You know, he'd show me like, uh, you know, uh, the blues or a couple of just straight cat strut. Right. Uh, you know, those boom, 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 boom. Hey, I could do that three notes, you know, just keep doing it. We jam for like two go. hours the same, the same jam. As a matter of fact, some of that stuff you'll see black and white videos on YouTube of us jamming in the yard. I'll send you that too later on. You'll get a kick out of it. Black and white okay, videos. Cool. Yeah, before color cameras came around. So, so that started there. And from there on, we just kept playing and playing and playing. And then we had a real band, and we played parties. You know, we got Frank the Perry in the band was another guy. So now we had two guitars, bass, and drums. So we were like a real band. And we started playing at block parties at, at uh, and uh, regular parties. You know, friends of ours would throw Sweet 16 parties and they had access to play. So we did it, you know. We would, we, in bet- nice. we, we would do covers, and then in between there, we'd write one or two originals. Like we started writing an original song like every once in a while. And, and then it got even more heavy, What's that? Oh, we both at sang. Uh, uh, at the time, we both sang. At that time... Oh, you and your brother? Yeah. He would sing a few. I okay. would sing a few, you know. And um, even later on in the Crystal Eyes days, we both sang, but I sang most of the songs. I became like the lead singer 40 pounds ago. And, uh, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, not, I'm still not at that heavy, but, I mean, 40 pounds makes a difference. You know, when you're on stage singing and you're too... 205 instead of 245, you know, big difference on the waist, you know, give the, you know, the, the chicks, I used to drive the chicks crazy, you know, <laughs> you know, I put on my rock, my Michael Jackson jackets, really, uh, I should say Sergeant Pepper jackets, but Michael Jackson wore them too, so, you know, nice. the brushes, and, and you'll see that all on YouTube, I'm, I sent you a million videos, so, I mean, and I'm I going, checked I'm, all I'm, those out. I actually did, I spent a lot of time yesterday checking through my homework, and I checked all of them out. So we will get into some of that stuff. So real quick, just to digress a little bit. So while you're talking about, you know, you're getting heavily involved in music, very influenced by your older brother, you know, were you involved in any sports growing up? Did you do any other types of things that you enjoyed as a kid? Were you, kind because of, you do have a great sense of humor, were you the class clown? You know, just throw a couple of, you know, just bullets out there about that. Oh, yeah, as a kid, I mean, I was never really a big sports person, but I did play, uh, you know, as a kid, I would play football or baseball with the friends. I didn't. Well, I wasn't in the baseball okay. teams where you know you dress up with the caps and the real. Just, uh, just you know, once in a blue moon. Look, when, kind of uh, stuff. Yeah, punch ball, football, right in the middle of the streets of, of East New York. Okay. You know. Skelzy was one of our favorites. I don't know if you ever heard of Skelzy. You know, we used to take the uh, Coca-Cola bottle cap and fill it up with uh, melty uh, crayon, and then all different colors, and then you you played Skelzy in the street. 
You're probably like, wait a minute, Skelsey, I don't know about that either. <laughs> yeah, no, I've never, I've never heard of that. So what, what was the concept of that game? Oh well, you had to, you know, you had to like, like hit it like with your finger and try to get them in the box and and try to get you start off from one to thirteen. And so you had to hit it with your fingers, like snap your finger and make it go flying. Mm-hmm. Try to get in box one, then box two, and you know, and then we would play that for uh, whoever won. We would have comic books, you know, the Justice League and Marvel comic books. I wish I still had those now from the sixties. Probably worth nice. a ton of money. <laughs> Actually, you know what? They're not. I, I I did have a lot of those left. And I sold them for, on eBay because now eBay, nobody cares no more. You know, things that were worth a lot of money once now is selling for 99 cents, you know, because <laughs> everybody in the world selling the same right. thing. So we played okay, so- Skelsey on the street. We played football, punch ball. And, um, but I always loved music. Even as a little kid, I was one mm-hmm. of those little kids in the family where, you know, all, my Uncle Marco, rest in peace, miss him so much, um, he would, there was this well, record he had with this, uh, Choo Choo Train song, and he would want me to. He would put that on. He want me to do this little dance. So I would do this little dance in front of like twenty people in my grandmother's house, and everybody like, they thought it was cute, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> so I was always, I guess, right. as a little kid, I was always into being an entertainer, you know. And uh, and, and so, then you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so so that's um that's yeah, I could definitely see that. You know, you definitely again your your character, your disposition, definitely someone who always is kind of getting the audience going, so to speak. So as you're talking about the music and, you know, getting involved, like you said, kind of playing shows and getting out there, start to fast forward a little bit and tell us how Crystal Eyes formed. And that was, I think, what, in around kind of mid, like 1976, 77, was that when that formed? Uh, well, well, okay, the guys that we played with in the backyard and gym, we were the same guys for a long time. We called ourselves Sweat. And then by, like, uh, 19... Uh, 80 or 79 or something like that, we, we okay. decided to call ourselves Crystal Eyes. And, and then how did you come up with that name? Uh, we, I thought Sweat was, I guess, because the feeling of being more professional came on, you know, from playing more, mm-hmm. started playing clubs in the city in Manhattan and places like that. So the Sweat thing made us feel like we were still in the backyard. We called ourselves Sweat. I guess we had to do it. We were in the backyard jamming in the 95-degree weather, playing with the sun beating on us. <laughs> so we were all sweat like pigs. So what should we call ourselves? Sweat. Nice. <laughs> so, so then when things started to get professional, I said, we should change the name to something cool. Like, you know, and he started fooling around with names and crystallized. I don't know how that came about, to be honest with you. I don't remember why, but... That was what okay. we came up with, and it just looked cool the way, you know, the, the logo looked nice the way we had it, you know. We had, did the thing yeah, on the top with the crystal and then eyes below and put an eye. Mm-hmm. We had, like, an eye right in between them, you know, that kind of thing. Nice. <laughs> and I think it fits with kind of that rock and roll genre, just the name itself. It kind of, I don't know, it has that vibe of, like, kind of like a 70s, 80s type of, you know. I don't know. That's oh, definitely. That's the feel that I get, you know. Yeah. I, I kind of rushed things. You had to ask me also if my brother was into acting. And, uh, not really. My brother was always a musician and singer-songwriter, but I, I got into acting later on for reasons that, uh, like I said on many shows, I got into acting because I was too old to get a record deal at 40 years old. So I said, well, not not giving up the music business. I'm not going to get a record contract at 40 years old. It's unheard of. So I said, what well, do I do now? Before you, know? you, um, yeah, before you get into the acting, because I want to just talk, tell us a little bit about, you know, just – some of the experiences playing at the Limelight and CBGBs and, you know, some of these places that were just very 
well-renowned that unfortunately aren't around anymore. And give us some highlights, because I know on some of the shows and interviews I saw you talk about, you know, you talk about Madonna and, you know, some of these people back in the day that you would run into that weren't out there yet or didn't get that be where they were later in life. So tell us a little bit about that and then transition into why, I guess, music kind of was something that you, no pun intended, transitioned out of. You know, not not permanently because you still do a lot of it. And then talk about the acting. So tell us a little bit about just your experience, you know, playing in that club scene and and what it was like. Okay, how I even started playing it. Uh, I mean, I had played it in like 1981 or 82. We played at CBGB for the first time. And uh, that was kind of cool. As a matter of fact, the first time we played at CBGB's, they were just had filmed the movie Staying Alive with John Travolta the night before, and it was still they were still shooting more stuff. So the club was set up for the set of that movie when we played it. So, CB, yeah, did you see Staying Alive with John Travolta? I have. I mean, uh, of course, I've heard of it, but I know I'm not a big. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, okay, that's okay. Well, they were filming that movie because he would come and pick up mm-hmm. John Travolta would come and pick up his girlfriend, and she was a singer in the movie. So that, that was the club they used to uh, to film the movie. So I played there. Okay, we played there. That was a cool gig. I didn't freak out yet or become a uh, a rock and roll maniac. Then we played at a club <laughs> in Long Island called Februarys in Elmont. Uh, which was a cool place, a real heavy rock and roll kind of, uh, you know, Long Island rock biker type of place at the time. Um, so that was cool. It was a gig, but I still didn't, it still didn't, you know, I still didn't lose my mind in terms of trying to become a rock star where I threw myself in 200% like a madman. Uh, what happened mm-hmm. was I was working at a video store. I was the manager of the video store back in like 1985 or something like that. And I was still playing. We play here and there, but nothing really, nothing really big or whatever. And I had a friend of mine, Richie, who walked into the to the video store, and you know, in the uh, uh, the music rack of videos, there was right there. He's looking at it, and there was a video uh, of Julian Lennon, which he's a good friend of mine now for many years. We still keep in touch. Wow. And he said, oh, Sal. Yeah. So he he said, Sal, uh, that Julian Lennon. He goes, he was in my club last night. I said, what club? What are you talking about? And it was a, it's called the China Club, okay? They had just opened mm-hmm. in 1985. Said, I said, Julian Lennon hangs out in your cl- the club where you work? He goes, oh, yeah, everybody does. Uh, uh, all rock stars, David Bowie and this one and that one, Nile Rodgers, Billy Idol, Billy Squire, yeah. oh, every night. So I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, i got to check this place out because at this point in my life, I had never even met a rock star or an actor or anybody because right. I was basically Brooklyn and Queens bound all the time. So he said, I said to him that night, it was a winter night. I know I have friends of mine that are listening to this. They're probably laughing because I always tell this story in a funny way. It was a winter night. Okay. I, was, I, <laughs> I told Rich, I said, well, you listen to me. I said, Rich, if Julian Lennon comes or any rock stars come to your club tonight, call me. I don't care what time it is. He goes, yeah, I can put you on the guest list. I said, call me. I'll come, you know. So mm-hmm. it's like I'm sitting on the couch with my mom, and it's like, you know, 12 o'clock at night, 12 a.m. It's snowing out. You could hear, the, it was like a blizzard. You could hear the wind whipping the windows going, <laughs> and the snow is coming down. I said, oh, man, you know what? I'm just going to put on my pajamas, and nothing's happening. I put on my pajamas about one thirty in the morning. The phone rings in my house. I said, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I pick up and say, hey, Rich, it's Richie. Sal, listen, Julian Lennon just came in, David Bowie's here, all these people. I said, oh, my God. 
I said, where wow. is it? He says, what's 75th and Broadway? I said, I got to go. Something told me I got to go and make this scene, I, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a calling. My mom's like, yeah. where the hell are you going? I said, I got to go to Manhattan. <laughs> so okay. So I, put, I get dressed. I jump in my car. It's freezing. The wind is whipping. The snow's coming down. I don't even know my way around in Manhattan at this point, but I just said, I'm going to try oh this. Oh, my gosh. So it's like one thirty, quarter, 2 in the morning. I'm driving. I'm completely lost in Manhattan. I'm, ax- I'm asking taxi cabs, where's 20 West 75th and Broadway? Oh, go this way, go that way. Oh, I'm getting lost again. Finally, some cab says, follow me. I'm going to be passing it any second. He says, points okay. if I find it. I, I find the uh, club. I go downstairs. I walk in. I said, hi, I'm on the guest list. Richie put me on the guest list. I said, yes, yes, you're on. Let's go in. I walk in there, and first person who walks right in front of me is Julian Lennon. So, you know, I felt like I, I'd known him because I was a fan of his music and stuff. So I expected him to know me. But, you know, he just, you know, my person. I said, yo, brother, what's happening? Brother Julian. He's like, he just looks at me with that grin, you know, that uh, face he makes a smile. So we mm-hmm. shake hands. And then I'm hanging out in there, and I'm just going up to everybody. I see uh, everyone. Robert Gordon was in there. J.J. Uh, Jackson, all the MTV VJs hanging out, record company executives, uh, Rick Derringer. Uh, every, just, I was like, I said, am I, am I dreaming right now? And at that time, I, you know, it was 1985, and you know, I never met anybody. All of a sudden, it's like just dropping me in the room with 100 rock stars and actors hanging out. It was one of those clubs, you know, that like Studio 54 was, where, you know, if there was 150 people hanging out, 90 of them were all famous people. So right. once I went there, that was it for me. You know, I was like, okay. Now, I, I, I got to do this every night. I found my calling. This is the way to make connections and make contacts and meet people and right. and get and you know rub elbows with the the millionaires and the, the and famous. Yeah, let me. This will be an interesting question for you. So again, from my psychology background, was it just you always had that kind of disposition about yourself, where you were just kind of free flowing? You go up to people, hey, how you doing? Were you nervous at all? I mean, were you mm-hmm. kind of like, oh gosh, what if I embarrass myself? What if I say something I shouldn't? Or you were just like, no, this is an opportunity. Let me just kind of go full force and, and try to make the best of it. Yeah, no, I've never, I've never really been intimidated by anybody. I'm not, I'm very, I'm not shy, as you can tell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right. you know, I, I, to me, I, I always like treat everybody like a lost long relative. I mean, I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. somebody at a candy store and just, you know, <laughs> and just start chatting away, and you know, we, we exchange numbers, and a complete stranger I just met, you know. So cool. I just walked in there. I was just going up to everybody. I was like, "Yo, brother, hey, how you doing?" And they would say, "Do, did I ever meet? Did I, do I know you, dude?" I said, "No, but you do now." <laughs> right. And now we're lifelong friends. What's your number? Here's my number. You give me your number. I'm like, "What?" They're like, "So I started going there every night, and that was it. I was, I, I was going there. I literally, no kidding, seven nights a week. I would be in the China Club, and I did this for ten years. Now hanging out in the China Club." And I became part of the whole clique, you know, and everybody now, now I was with all the boys, me and, you know, Julian Lennon, Steve Thompson, Billy Idol, Billy Joel, Billy Squire, everybody. And to this day, I still keep in touch with all these, these guys. I mean, you know, they're friends with me on Facebook or I have their numbers. I'll call them once in a while. And, uh, you know, I went so, from – go ahead. So, okay, and you can keep and you keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted. I just want to throw a couple of things in there, but you're doing, you're doing great with this interview. So with making these connections and going out seven nights a week to the China Club and, you know, all this networking you're doing, as you're talking, just kind of fill the audience in on how did that help your band 
you know, get to a level that you were at so that you could basically play music, you know, professionally for a long time before you decided to, you know, venture into acting, and then we'll start to transition into acting. Okay. Um, what happened was uh, I was trying, even though I was a regular hanging out at the China Club, right, um, mm-hmm. I still couldn't get, I was trying to get a gig there, and they had a lot of bands playing, and they were booked constantly. And, I mean, you know, I did play there eventually, but this is what happened. I ended up uh, getting involved with my friend Vinny Gabriel, and me and him were like go out and promote. And we ended up going to the limelight and talking to the uh, to one of the promoters. And the limelight at the time had never had band, live bands before. They basically just did DJ and dancing. They never did rock bands. So okay. we kind of you know mingled with them and convinced them that if you put us book us there, we'll pack the place and do all this stuff. So they took a chance. Vinny talked them into it. I got. I can't take too much credit because Vinny really booked us there. Um, mm-hmm. And they they went for it. So all of a sudden now, uh, Vinny and me got every New York promoter that promote clubs involved. At the time, it was people like Susan and Bruce. They were big club promoters for the Cat Club and all those clubs in the village. Uh, you had Wolfgang. Uh, quite a few other people. Now, you know, when you play a club, you get these, uh, the, the promoters, they give you these invitations with their name on it, and, like, they'll punch a hole in it, and they get a dollar for everyone that comes in type of thing. So okay. we got them all involved, and we would go out and promote it every night. When we did the gig, we brought 2,000 invitations to, to, that, to that show. First of all, I guess because okay. the Limelight had never had live bands before, so people were curious about that. Second of all, we promoted like like crazy, and when right. I was in the yeah when I was in, uh, in the dressing room getting ready to do the show, I looked out the window of the club and there was a line for like five six blocks long. I said well, that can't be for us, wow. and sure enough, I mean you know it was all free invitations and, and you know complimentary and all that stuff. Get one drink free. We really promoted it like crazy, so we played that gig at the limelight. The place was packed to the walls, and you had three floors, and it was packed everywhere. Oh, my god! So, gosh. therefore, I came on the stage. You're going to love this story. When I started singing, okay. I, didn't, I did two songs without even plugging in my bass because I was so psyched and crazy that I didn't even plug my bass in. <laughs> so I was playing. I could have sworn That's I heard awesome. the bass. Now, now what, this is what happened. You, know, you do a gig like that. And all of all of the clubs in New York City keep in touch with themselves on on like computers at the time. Where they let each other know what bands do really good drawings. Right. So we packed that place. The next day, my phone was ringing off the hook from the China Club was calling me to book us. Uh, all kind of people, the Bitter End, uh, Nirvana at the 17th floor, the club called Nirvana. So. I guess, you know, we kind of, you know, you, you know, just like anything else, you, you, you get a hit record, and all of a sudden you're packing you know, Madison Square Garden. So we had right. a hit night at a club, so every club from there wanted to book us. But what happened now was every club that I played, they were expecting the same kind of draw, which I did for a long time. And then you start getting these okay. clubs that book you, book you on the Monday night, and if I did 100 right. people... That wasn't enough for them. They'd be like, oh, you only brought 100 people? I'd say, come on, give me a break. You That's know? a lot on a Monday night, though. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they put us on at like I mean, 1 but... in the morning, you know? So right. that's how that started. And from there on, we started playing every club in New York City. We were 
the third highest drawing band in New York City at the time, in the 80s and That's all the way amazing. into the 90s. Yeah. So you could at that time, and I mean, you know, the music industry, as I'm sure you know, and I haven't been in it nearly as long as you have, but it's, you know, it's dramatically different today with the Internet and all that stuff. So you were able to sustain a nice living, I'm assuming, from, from your music career and playing in all these clubs, and correct? I'm, well, say that at the, the beginning part. I, I heard what you said the last time, but okay. I, I moved. I said, yeah, no, I said that you guys must have been able to make a nice living for yourselves and able to sustain doing music full-time as a career. Did you also have any job on the side, or no, it was just full force, music is what you did? No, well, actually, all of us worked, believe it or not, because, oh, really? okay, okay, yeah, we all worked. We're doing gigs, but some, a lot of gigs were... Uh, you know, uh, some we had to do for free just to promote ourselves. And, you know, right. you got even rock stars who have, uh, you know, big hit records. You'll see every time yeah, they do a gig, you're right. they're not always getting paid. They're like, you know, you see Cheap Trick doing a, a show on uh, with, with Dick Clark. People right away think they're getting paid. But no, Dick Clark, Rick Nielsen said right on the show, no, no, we're just promoting our album. We don't get paid for this. We, 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 I'll pay us promoting our album on, on TV, you know. So, so, right, so what happened? What, what were you doing? What was ahead, I doing sorry. at the time? Yeah, what was I working work on the side? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like I said, at that time I was managing a video store. Believe it or not. Just the okay. The video store. You were still doing that. Yeah, I was doing that, which was a good thing because they did a lot of promotional stuff and they made flyers in there. So, and then later on, I ended up uh, working in the airport as well. So we all worked. My brother worked. Uh, the guitar player Kenny, he worked, but he gave guitar lessons, so he was still doing music work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the drummer, everybody actually worked. Uh, you know, and, and we would get, we would get. Uh, I'd be running around the record companies trying to get a major record deal, and I would meet everybody. I mean, I sat with the biggest record company executives you could imagine, and uh, timing was very bad because when we were doing pop rock, the heavy metal thing was kicking in. Then we were trying to okay. get a little bit heavier to match up with that. Then the grunge thing came in. So, you know, every time the record company, oh, we've got to change this. You change your pants, you change your underwear, you change this. Before you know it, you're 40 <laughs> years old, and it's like too late to even get a deal. So gotcha. that's what was happening with that. We were missing the boat. And, and I would have, I mean, and a lot of times, too, I didn't have the right stuff in terms of demos. We didn't have that much money, so we would do four-track demos. We did a few 24-track recordings. And, and, you know, by the time we got that to the record company, they were like, uh, oh, wait, wait, we just signed two or three acts. We're not signing nobody right now. And, but I tell you, I sat down. I sat with Jason Flum, who's still a friend of mine. Uh, we used to hang out in the club all the time. And he, he told me, okay. he said, Sal, you're the only person, he said, that could actually talk a record company executive to have him sit in the office with him and listen to the demo because we usually don't let anybody sit with us when we listen. But he says something about you, just can't say no to you. (laughs) (laughs) Dave Novick. Yeah. So I I was turned down by a lot of people, but we almost did get signed in 1988 with my song called Can't Love Without You that a lot of kids today have been covering. A A young boy, Alex B., recorded it. Uh, The group pop group Diverse recorded I won an award for that song also um, Teresa Vitale recorded it and they're all on YouTube I gotta send you a light you'll see everybody who recorded that song so RSO Records I did uh, did check it out that's a great song too that you have 
Ah, thank you. Uh, we won an uh, award for that song, a Billboard uh, uh, Billboard mm-hmm. Song Contest Award in uh, 1991. And and that song is also in a lot of independent films, a lot of horror movies use that song. And um, uh, so getting back to that, uh, RSO so Records. Like said, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I had meetings with everybody. Richard Asher, the president of Polygram, sitting with him in his office, multi, you know, the big Polygram Records, and he's like the president. And I'm sitting with him, and you know, just letting him hear the tape and. You know, and I and I was a schmoozer. I'm not. I'm going to admit it. I'm not going to. I'll say it right over the radio and let everybody know that I was a schmoozer. Uh, <laughs> I go in the club, right? Let's say, okay, I'll give you a funny story. You're going to love this. Let's say I'd be at the China Club, right? Now, my my attitude was going to hang out every night. I didn't drink. I didn't. I never tried drugs in my life. I didn't get high. Nothing. My mm-hmm. focus was to go and hang out every night and. Uh, mingle and make more and more contacts and, and network. You know, I have cassette tapes all in my pockets. So, you know, I'd be sitting at the table, it'd be like me, Julian Lennon, uh, John McCurry, who played with Cindy Lauper and Julian, uh, whoever else was at the table, uh, whoever, whoever was there, Brian Sessa from right. Straight Cats, we'd be sitting there. So all of a sudden, this guy in a suit, you know, he comes passing mine and he shakes everybody's hand at the table. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? He shakes my hand, too. Oh, it's okay. I don't know who that is. I said, Julian. I said to Julian Lennon, I said, Julian, who is that? And he said, oh, that's Richard Asher, mate. I said, who the hell is Richard Asher? He said, oh, he's the president of Polygram Records, you know, with the English accent. I said, no kidding. I said, has he ever been here before? He said, yeah, I think he was here last week. So I said, okay. So I said, I walk away from the table. I go close to the uh, table where Richard Asher is sitting with all the record company executives. And I walk mm-hmm. back and forth trying to make eye contact. So as soon as I make eye contact, I say, yo, Brother Rich. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, kid, how you doing? I say, hey, I did. I saw you last week, which is not true. I never saw him before, but, uh, you know, we got a schmooze. <laughs> so, right. so, so I go up to him and I say, uh, I saw you here last week. He goes, hey, have a seat, kid. What do you want? You want a drink? I say, yeah, sure. He goes, what do you drink? I said, Diet Coke. Oh, you're going to get drunk on that. Yeah, put a little lemon in it, you know. So, uh <laughs> He said, so what's going on, kid? I said, well, you know, I'm still I'm doing the music. I said, matter of fact, Rich, last week when I saw you, I don't know if you remember, you told me that you were interested in hearing some of my music. He goes, that's right. Oh Where is God. it? He says to me, that's right. You got a tape with you? I said, well, you know what? I'll have a tape with me, but if you give me your card, I'll call you tomorrow, and I'll be at your office with a tape. He says, here's my card. You call me. You come to my office anytime you want. That's I said, great. yeah, baby. I said, I'm really good at this stuff. <laughs> So next day or two, I'd be in the having a meeting with Richard Asher, the president of Polygram Records. Of course, he passed on me because they had just signed. He was telling me, uh, Bon Jovi, Slippery, One Wet, Wet Album just sold 30 million copies. And he said, we're not signing anybody right now, but keep working. Maybe soon we'll sign you. And that's just what mm-hmm. I would do with everybody. I mean, I, I, make, I met everybody that way. Ahmed Erdogan. At Atlantic, uh, Jason Flom, who Jason Flom, he's huge right now. He's he's he signs everybody. I mean, all these uh, Katy Perry, that's he signed Katy Perry and uh, wow. so many, yeah, but all so many big big stars that are out right now. So, uh, you know, at the time when I was hanging out with him, he had signed bands like White Lion and people like that. But mm-hmm. um, but uh, that's and then in '89. 1988 with the song Can't Love Without You, uh, James Daly, who was Andy Gibbs' manager at the time, was also the president of A&R for 
RSO Records that's owned by Robert Stigwood. So he was at one of my gigs, and he heard the song and fell in love with it. Uh, actually, no, this is the real story. You want to hear it? I, I feel like I'm killing too much of your time over here. Yeah, How no, much no, time do we do, have on this you, show? Let's do no, I'll, I, I tacked on a little last night. So let's do this. Tell, let's tell one more story with the music stuff, because your stories are great. And then start to transition into how you decided to eventually, like you said, you, your age was a factor and you weren't going to get yeah. signed and then acting somehow came to the forefront. So do that. Tell one more story and then transition into how you went out of the music. You know, again, not permanently because you still do a lot, but how mm-hmm. acting came to be. Okay? All right. Well, the, the story with almost getting signed with RSO Records with uh, James Daly was this. I, I, had, I met him in the club. I had to meet him with him at the office. And I bought like a three-song demo tape, and Can't Love Without You was one of the songs. He listened to the songs, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, you know, he didn't make a big deal. He goes, not bad stuff. He says, what else you got? Can you write some more stuff? Let me hear what else you got. I said, okay, I'll go home and write a few more songs and, and let you hear them. Uh, I go do that. We record them on four-track. I go a week or two later to his office again. But I decide, I always do this. I decide I want to put Can't Love Without You back on that, on that uh, same cassette along with the new songs. Because I always say to myself, well, you heard it once. Maybe when he hears it again, he'll like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, the first time. You... So sure. I go back to his, yeah, it works. I go back to his office, um, oh, like a week or two later. And he sits down and listens to the tape. And he listens to the new songs. He, he liked them, but no big deal. And then Can't Love Without You started. He goes, oh, wow, you, you did a cover song, he says to me, right? I says, no, no. He goes, but I know this song. I, I, I know it so well. I said, well. No, it's, it's an original of mine. You probably remember it from last week when you heard it. And he looks at me, his eyes light up. He goes, that's the sign of a great song. He goes, I thought it's it was awesome. a cover. I only heard it once last week, and I'm hearing it now, and I love this song. And, and then he said, I'm going to talk to Robert Stigwood. We've got to sign you with this song. So he said, they said they were going to give us a record contract at that time, and we mm-hmm. were all excited about it. But time that RSL Records lost millions of dollars with some projects they got involved with and they folded and they didn't have a record company anymore. Still doing films oh, and gosh. movies, but not records. So that's the story of right. my life. And maybe there's a reason for it, you know? Sometimes there's a reason well, for things. Yeah, because you're still, again, you're still an amazing uh, singer-songwriter. You're still doing a lot of composition and getting your stuff, like you said, in films. And uh, so why don't you transition into... How do you get involved in acting when, like you said, I mean, that's it, it's a little later in life to get involved, but hey, never too late to start anything, right? So well, tell the great us a thing with acting, how... go ahead. Yeah, the great thing with acting is there's no age limit. See, I, when I got to 40 years old, I said, well, the music business, is, uh, nobody's going to sign you at 40 years old. It's unheard of. The only person who has ever gotten a record contract at even 30 was Bruce Hornsby, and he was produced by Huey Lewis at the time. And they were okay. even giving him a hard time because they said he's too old. He's 30 years old. What the hell? 30 is not old. But, right. they, you know, he got signed. <laughs> he was like the only person who's ever gotten signed and signed at 30 years old to a major record deal. And you know, people say, oh, well, wow. you know, there's so many people still doing music in the 60s. I said, yeah, but they were signed when they were 17 years old in 1960. That's why they're still doing music, you know. <laughs> right. But they, they, they say, why? What do you mean you can't get signed at 40? The Rolling Stones are still doing it. Yeah. But when did the Rolling Stones get signed? 1965 or 64? <laughs> they were like 17 years old. So that's the part they don't right. understand. So when I hit 40, I said, oh, boy, okay. I was a little down and out. I said, what should I do now, man? You know, and I could have got into acting many moons ago, even back in the mm-hmm. 80s. 
I was one of Joe Spinell's best friends. And Joe Spinell, you know, he's, he's in 155 Yeah, you know what? This is, wait, wait, I have to interrupt you because this is the perfect time. And I did check out that one YouTube video you sent with him leaving you messages over and over again. And I was, I was, I was, I was dying listening to that because it was just so sweet. But and, and I have to joke around because one of my girlfriends and I do this all the time. We just, it's an inside joke we have. When we can't reach each other, we'll just like, we'll bomb each other. We'll call each other nonstop and we laugh about it. So when I was listening to that, he was just, you know, hey, this is George Spinelli. Like, like, like you don't know who it is. It was just, so tell us a little bit about your relationship with him. And I saw that he did pass on, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm the one who actually found him, uh, found him in his apartment in 1989. Uh, you know, he he died in the, on the couch. He hurt himself and didn't call for help. And I'm the, me and my friend Vinny and Arthur, we showed up to the house. And you know, that's another whole story. I don't want to get into that, but that'll be another hour. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he passed but away. I'm the one who found him. Tell us a little bit about who he was and how you knew him, because it looked like he was an he was an actor and he was in a film called Maniac from Say I Did My Research. So, so yeah. tell us a little bit about you know just a, a few sentences of your relationship with him and how you knew him, and then. You know, again, well, transition into how you're getting into acting. I met Joe. Well, like I said, I, I remember back in the 80s, uh, Joe Spinell was like, come on, we're going to do this movie. Why don't you come and do it? I said, ah, I'm not into acting, you know. What time are you going to be on the set? 7 a.m.? Are you crazy? I'm in my first dream at that time. <laughs> I'm just coming home at 5 a.m. from the club. You want me to do a movie at 7 a.m.? So that, you know, the acting thing, I was like, I don't want to be an actor. I mean, I'm into the rock star thing, you know. So... What happened was, uh, so if I, and I say to myself, and I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I, say, I always think that if I would have got into acting when Joe Spinell was telling me to do it, maybe by today I would have been one of those guys making, you know, 20 million a movie because of, I mean, the short amount of time that I started acting, I started moving pretty fast because of, you know, the way I am, very, very, uh, you know, friendly. And, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I know actors that have been acting for 30 years still don't have their SAG card and, and still never had a speaking part in the movie, where me, right. I, I, my, you know, my, my first gig was straight on to Oz as a featured extra, and I worked five that's, days a week. You know, yeah, and, that's crazy. So how do you get introduced so you can get an opportunity to get on to Oz and you're on it for, you know, seasons four, five, and six? And, and tell us a little bit about that experience, because, you know, I joked around with you. I said you, you were on a prison show, but I literally work in prison. So tell us, you know, just what that was like. I mean, your first acting get on a major HBO hit series. Uh, well, I mean, it was weird because, I, you know, I had never done that before. And, um, you know, I went to audition for, I saw this thing. I was, like I said, I was down and out because I said, what do I do now, man? I was, so I, I, in Village Voice, I see uh, this Cheney talent guy. Uh, he was uh, like, a, like a talent agency. And they said, looking for bit parts, extras, this and that. So I said, let me give it a shot. You know, I went down there, and, and uh, I ended up, he put me on Oz as an extra. I worked one day playing a paramedic, and then uh, I guess from being on the set all day and having fun with everybody and making everybody laugh, and, and they told me <laughs> they'd want me to come back again. So, I mean, then I became one of the featured Italians as the, with the Italian gang, and I worked like five days a week. It was like a regular job. You get there at 7 a.m. till you know, you always do like a 12-hour day, 7 to 7, mm-hmm. and... It was like four or five days a week, sometimes just four, depending on what they were shooting. And uh, they, you know, they used me forever. And, and from there, you know, I ended up making so many friends, some of the major actors on that show, and I kept in touch with them. And like Anthony Chisholm's one of them, who I interviewed on my show. Uh, 
and Anthony Chisholm, you know, we keep in touch, and they did the movie Coalition together, and that right. was us, you know, so that's how I just keep doing stuff, you know, I make, I, anything you've seen, any movie I've done, I've got on my own, I don't have an agent, or anything, I've never gotten anything from, no, I've never gotten anything from an audition, I've never gotten anything from an agent, everything you see me do, movies, whatever, I've got on my own, Yeah. Wow. So, I'm, uh, just, uh, so what would be your, and, yeah. and again, it's kind of rhetorical, I mean, because, again, part of it is your personality and the way that you, you know, you do approach people, and no pun intended, you're very approachable and friendly, and people get to know you very quickly. So what would be your recommendation for someone who does want to get involved in acting or music in terms of, you know, putting yourself out there like that? How do you do that? Because it is difficult, and usually there's more doors closed than open. And how do you not give up? So what would be yeah. your piece of advice? Uh, to me, you got to. I always I tell people stay excited, you know, because I'm just as excited mm-hmm. now. I'm 53, going on mm-hmm. 25. Right. <laughs> I just I'm just as excited now as I was 30 years ago with so much going on. See, all these things that you do makes you feel like, proud and excited, and the more you do, the more people love you and and you be sweet and kind with everybody. Don't ever. I, I always tell people, don't get cocky or try to act like you're better than nobody because mm-hmm. nobody likes that. You know, we're all under the heavens. We're all one family. Nobody's better than nobody. I don't care what the color of the skin is. We're all just passing through having a human experience. Nobody's better than nobody. So I treat everybody. I mean, I remember even being in the clubs. I always hung out with the guys that nobody wanted to hang out with. I, I mean, they'd be like, why do you hang out with him? I said, because he's my friend and he's a human being. Why is there a problem with him? Right. You know, right. People, yeah, but that kind of person makes you look bad. I said, don't, nobody makes me look bad. I'm me. Maybe he makes himself look bad, but he's not making me look bad because I'm hanging out with him. <laughs> <laughs> I still look good. Right. I look in the mirror every day. I say, God damn, you're a good-looking Sal. You know, so, <laughs> well, wait, wait, Carrie, now, I'm not conceited. I'm convinced. I'm only kidding. But, <laughs> no, I know. I know. But I think, but, no, I think you did you do touch on something very important. And I think, and I remember you saying this, and, and I did say this to you in one of our private messages, which I won't reveal too much because, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff. I'm just joking. But no, there's this <laughs> yeah, very <baby>. genuine. <laughs> no, there really is. There's this genuine, authentic quality about you, and you were being interviewed, and, and you specifically said that, you know, you focus on how you can help us on what are you going to get in return. And I think that says a lot, and I, I definitely have that quality, too. I'm always helping people out, and, hey, if something comes out of it and I can network with a person and we can help each other out, great, but I'm not, I'm not ever expecting anything. And I think that's where people sometimes have a big downfall, is people are more of looking at what can I get from you versus, you know what I mean? Like what oh, you yeah, do exactly. is, is how can I offer you something or how can I help you out? And, people always you know, feel I think that like says a lot. Own. Exactly, right. and people, and those kind of people like we're talking about, think feel like you owe them something. If they helped you with something, now you owe me. No, I never think of it that way. I help people, and I say, God bless. I'm so happy that I was able to do it for you. My friend Lisa mm-hmm. today worked on that uh, new show today called The Leftovers. I, I helped her get in there, and she's thanked me a million times, and it just makes me happy to know that I'm able to help. You know, that's all. Right. You know, I'm not looking to, you know, you owe me now. No, of course not. What the heck? Right. We all help each other, you know? And I, you saw, like I said, on the Johnny P. show, I, I sent you that link, too. Yeah, that where, was it, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. God sees everything, you know. The, uh, you know, you know yeah, like all those people, like I said, those movie stars that donate 
you know, $10 million for some charity thing, and then they get a movie for $20 million. So I always think when you help and you do things, it comes back to you in tenfold, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. So that's now why I recommend good karma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I recommend to everybody to listen. By the way, I love your album. i got to say that for all your fans that are listening. I got yeah, Terry, uh, Terry Edelman's CD. <laughs> I've been playing it in my car. She rocks, baby. So if you guys uh, want to hear some good rock and roll, you better get her CD now while supplies still last. Oh, thank you, Sal. I appreciate that. <laughs> and while we're, while we're, we're, while we're saying uh, things like that, I want to, because I, I definitely wanted to put it in there. I think this would be a good time, and maybe you can comment on how you know him. So just uh, real quick, I want to give Richard Sergiovanni a plug. He is the creator of The Grimps, which is a animated rock and roll kids television show. It is going to be the next big thing. So I want everyone yep. to check it out and go to thegrimps.com and check you, him out at see? The Grimps on Twitter. And one more, let me just give him one more plug. And also don't forget to become a fan of him on Facebook. Go to The Grimps. I'm sorry, guys. I feel so bad now because I even said to him, See, I gotta write these things down on paper. I start talking, and I forget what day it is. I gotta write it's down. Okay. I said to Rich, I said, Rich, we're gonna talk about you and plug your show and all that stuff because he's a great guy. I had him on my show, and he loves my mm-hmm. songs. He even wants to use some on the on the show if if anything ever happens. Awesome. Uh, also, I also got the show to Julian Lennon and asked him if he wanted to be a part of it and be a voice. And he he, he said it looks like a fantastic project, but He's doing so much that there's no way he has the time to get involved in anything else, and this is the truth. Aww. You know, right? I did, and, right. and Rich, I know he's listening. I saw. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I wanted to get that in there. And uh, brother Rich yeah, is the man. No, how do you? Um, and so, why don't you just fill us in real quick? Let us know how you met Rich. And I've been friends with him. I can't believe now it's been a couple of years, and I've had him on my show twice. And yeah, we we're just very good friends. And I'm hoping to be a part of his project too if it gets up and running. I'm really excited about it. Oh, that would be definitely. Uh, how do I know, Richard? Well, that would definitely be a big hit. I, I know that would be a hit because it's just a cool thing. And the world mm-hmm. needs a cartoon like that again. Uh, definitely. How do I know, Rich? He contacted me. I think um, he just contacted me. I don't remember how from who, but I know it, me and you met because of him. There's no doubt about that. Right. Yeah. You know, that's for sure. So we got to let everybody know that. And I said to him, too, the other day, I said, Brother Rich, we'll be talking about you on the show, and thank God you brought it up because even yesterday I did my <laughs> own show, and I have to write it down, right. things I want to try to remember. You see, my body looks a 25, but my brain is 53. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. I had it written in my notes, and I had planned to uh, get, uh, you know, put it in there, so it, it fit in perfect with what we were talking about. So, again, everyone... Check out the Grimps. Go to thegrimps.com and become a fan of them on Facebook. You can check out the animatic trailer, and it's it's really great stuff he has going on. So, uh, all great. I so, even have the uh, the Grimps song on CD. You know, I listen to it in the car. I do too. Do you want to take a break and we'll we'll listen to it real quick? Sure, let's play. Man. We're the Grimps. Let's do that. We're we'll the take band. Take a quick break. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So we'll do that. And when we come back, um, this is what we'll, we'll focus on just because time is, like you said, ticking. I definitely want to ask you about, I'm a huge fan of horror, so I want to know questions, answers from you about, you know, how did you get interested in horror? What are your, some of your favorite films? Think about your character in Knock Knock because I was, 
I, I was very drawn to him and disturbed at the same time when I was watching the, you know, the brief thing that you sent me. So I want to know a little bit about the psychological state of your character, okay? So you think about okay. that stuff, and then we'll come right back, okay? Sounds great. All right, so I'm going to put you on hold, Sal. Okay, hold okay. on. All right, guys, so it's a perfect time. We're going to take a break, and we are going to check out, I don't know what is going on tonight, the... The internet must be just kind of a little slow. But we're going to check out the Grimps. Let me just find the uh, song here in my... Here it is. Okay. So this is the theme song as we were talking about the amazing Richard Savant, Sergiovanni. Nice uh, nice Polish name. Just joking. Uh, the Grimps. All right. Check it out. The Grimps theme song and go to thegrimps.com. everyone. Welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show again. The Grimps hit theme song. Go to thegrimps.com and become a fan of them on Facebook. All right, Sal, you're back on. Oh, I'm hanging loose like a long-haired goose over here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. <laughs> nice. How did, you, how did you come up with saying that? That's like your little slogan. I love it. I always see a post in it. Why don't you tell us real quick, how did you, you use that in... Oh, well, you know, I, I, ri- I, yeah, I ripped off Austin Powers, really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always love, liked I the way... Say, I, 
Yeah, I always liked the way Austin Powers. Yeah, baby, yeah. So it's like it sounds like such an exciting thing. So whenever I put something up on Facebook, it's like okay, I have to have like a little thing. Matter of fact, Julian Lennon wrote me the other day. Said Sal, if I hear yeah, baby, one more time, I'm gonna kill myself. He said. Right. (laughs) I like it though. I always laugh when I see you do it. Okay, so tell us how did you. get interested in horror films and you can plug a couple of the films, the independent ones, because I know you've been in the Tenement and a lot of different ones. Um, you know, what drove you to horror? Tell us about, you know, what was your favorite film growing up as a kid and just a little bit of information on that. Well, I like all kind of movies. Um, I can't really say that horror was my favorite kind of movies. What happens is okay. that I ended up in so many horror movies is that, um, like 2003, 2004, you know, right after I did Oz and The Coalition and a couple other things, I met Glenn Baisley, who's the uh, writer and director of The Tenement and uh, Fear of the Dark, um, Sins of the Father, uh, Fairview mm-hmm. Falls, all these movies that, I, that I'm involved with, in, with him. He turned me on to uh, the Chiller Convention, which you see me in the pictures with a lot of famous people because I go there all the time. Mm-hmm. It turned me on to that, and the Chillers Convention was like basically so much horror cool stuff. I mean, it's everything. You know, it's everything. There's rock stars, there's famous actors. It's not, you know, actors from the 60s or whatever. But it basically, it's called Chiller Theater, and it focuses a lot on the horror stuff. Uh, the, their tables sell all these freaky horror movies and all that So he invited me to that. And I started really getting into the whole horror genre there for a little while. It was really more popular than ever. I mean, it's still really popular. But, uh, right. you know, about 10 years ago, it was like everything, you know, everywhere you went, it was like horror, horror, horror. So um, Joe Ariola, who wrote the movie Coalition and directed it, me and him became good friends, and uh, he wanted to do another movie. He, you know, I'm in Coalition, I play a mob guy, I'm with Frank Vincent right. and Jacques Zito, and I, actually I wrote two of the Italian songs for that soundtrack as well. But uh, his next movie... Uh, I told him, I said, you should do a horror movie. I said, right now, horror is really, really popular, you know, and uh, there's all these horror conventions going on, Fangoria, uh, Chiller, mm-hmm. all these, uh, all over the world, you know, and uh, it was a smart move to do at the time, and he ended up making me the star, you know, so he, he wrote knock, the movie. Knock, knock, knock yeah, I'm, I'm the star of right. that movie. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so Joe Ariola wrote that one, and he wrote it because basically... I talked him into it. I said, let's do a horror movie. You should do a horror movie. You know, slasher. Gorier the better, you know. It's like really uh, happening right now. People are really digging all these gory movies with all these hot girls in them. And, you know, they call them (laughs) TNA movies, you know. The horror movies is blood and TNA, they call it. So it's like something about that. that Even with the vampire movies, they get turned on by these good-looking girls with fangs and blood dripping down their lips. It's like sexy to them. It's like, ugh. <laughs> but <laughs> that doesn't turn me on, to tell you the truth. It's just not seeing blood and that kind of stuff. But uh, but uh, that's what was happening. And, and that's how I, I started, I, you know, I met Glenn and he, he kind of got me into that whole scene. And I started working in a bunch of his, his movies and then Joe's movie. Then till uh, now, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll still, uh, I think Glenn wants to do another movie soon as well. But, they, you know, something's going on with the uh, difficulties in terms of other actors whatever but he told me uh, he sent me this right yeah you know. so tell us um but definitely comment on again the character and i want people to go to youtube and uh again 
Sal has hundreds and hundreds of videos, so there's there's so much on him. But definitely check out Knock Knock. And you know, what was the type of role that you were playing? What was? And I'm I know you can't probably give a lot of it away. Maybe maybe I can get a screener from you because I'd really love to see that film. Um, oh yeah. You know what was the what was the whole concept of? I guess in that that clip that you have up there of the character and his mental state. What, what happened was um, when Joe Ariola gave me the script, uh, okay, Troy was not supposed to be as freaky as I created him myself. Uh, basically, <laughs> in the script, yeah, basically in the script, Troy is a, a, an older guy who's like hasn't grown up and is in the you know he, right. he's still stuck in the eighties or the seventies. He wears all the freak you know the clothes from the seventies and eighties. And but me, I said, well, you know what? Let's let me make him a little creepier. So I, I started doing all the twitches with my face, my eyes, my mouth, all twitchy, like right. I'm a nervous wreck. So, uh, and you know, do you see the way I walk in that movie? Is there enough on footage yeah. on there's a li- that yeah, there's walk a little that bit I, you. Mm-hmm. you know how I developed that walk? Because, you know, I, 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 you remember, did you ever see Every Which Way But Loose with Clint Eastwood? No, I didn't. Mm-mm. Where he's got the orangutan with him? <laughs> okay. okay. Well, there's a movie, Every Which Way But Loose, with Clint Eastwood, and he has the orangutan with him. The orangutan, you know how they walk with their legs? They like kind of throw them out and they swing their arms almost. So I said, I'm going to walk slightly a bit like Claude. What was his name? Claude. Clyde. I'm going to walk like Clyde, the orangutan from Every Which Way But Loose, and make all twitchy movements on my face and, and create this freak, So which I did. And that all was me right on the spot. And then... The scenes where I'm kissing the dolls and I'm talking to the dolls, that right. was not right. Yeah, that was not really in the script. In the script, it was that I, I opened the things I'm playing with my dolls, but I started like talking to them and kissing them, and and you know I could start crying. <laughs> you better be a good boy, Tommy. <laughs> I got special right. plans for you. <laughs> now you want to laugh? I tell you a story. When we were shooting that scene, it was like 3 a.m. in the morning. And we were in these abandoned houses uh, in, in Queens. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was three, yeah, and they were filming from the top a few times on the side. Now, the girl that has the, uh, what do you call that thing, that clip thing that goes action, and they clip down, up and down, you know what I'm talking right, about, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. She said she, she was the only one in the room, and she clipped the thing because they were filming from above. So she's in the room, so she clicks, and she goes off to the side where she's, like, up against the wall where she couldn't be seen in the camera, right next to me. And the fear on her face, she got all freaked out because of the way I was acting. And as soon as they said cut, she ran out of the room like screaming. <laughs> because she got creeped out. She's in this room. The room is all freaky. I'm sitting there on the floor and, it's, and I'm kissing the dolls and I'm talking to them like this. Right, right. <laughs> you know? So she looks, her face was like she got freaked out and she just ran out of the room like, like, a, like, like a monster was in there. So I said, oh, it oh must have been gosh. good because I scared her. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, no, it's a, it's a, I'd love to see you more in the film. I mean, I love the clip that I saw, and I'd be very no, interested yeah, Send me your address. Film. I'll send you a copy. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So let's do this, just because time is, is limited. How did you get the title, The Mayor of Rock and Roll? I, I oh, okay. I just put that question in there. <laughs> yeah, I would never, never lie. I always tell the truth. Uh, my old guitar player, Kenny. His, his, that his, his married to his, uh, Sam, his wife now, she, before, mm-hmm. when they first met, and, you know, when we first met her, you know, she had a band too, but she also wrote articles for uh, like a music 
uh, magazine, and this was probably like 1990 or something around that time. And uh, she came to see us play, uh, and she wrote an article, which is still, I'll send it to you, I still have a copy of it. And it says, she says in the article, I met the mayor of rock and roll. He, he's a cross mm-hmm. between, yeah, and it says, yeah, I'm a cross between Elvis, Jimmy Page, and Santa Claus. And it's a long <laughs> article, and he says, uh, it's called me the mayor of rock and roll. So I immediately made thousands of copies of the article, and, and I, everywhere I went, I gave them out to people. I'd go in the club and I made sure every table had one, you know, every night of the week. I mean, it just stayed with me. And, you know, I've been the mayor of rock and roll ever since that time. And, and everybody in the world, I mean, I've been in L.A. I walk into a club in L.A. Wow. And I hear people. Yeah. I'm walking into a club in L.A. Sal, the mayor of rock and roll. You know, <laughs> rock stars. You know, Joe Lynn Turner. That's awesome. You know, Joe Lynn no, Turner. I'd love from, to see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Crazy! Very I'll send you cool. the article, and uh, people around the world still knows me as that, and that's how much of a good promoter I am. Because I mean, the article was made, but you know, if it wasn't that I promoted it, it would have just been forgotten right. about a long time ago. No, so no, that's exactly. that's the thing. That's another thing I'll tell actors and musicians who are listening right now is to always keep promoting. You know, it's just like you got to stay focused. And constantly promote. I told my cousin, my cousin is an actor. We were in L.A. And I told him, I said, you got to keep doing it. You see, I said, you see, we, were st- we were at a red light in L.A. And there was a sign in front of us. I forgot the sign was maybe something for, uh, who knows, Advil or whatever. I said, you see that sign right, right there? I said to him, yeah. I said, that sign could be there for 30 years. And every day you'll be at the light and see that sign. Do you realize once you take that sign away, within a week you'll forget it was ever there? Right. You know? So that's right. how people... Right, you're right. Yeah. Just like, you know, you got to keep... Uh, you make it grow. You make things yeah, grow. Yeah, you have to plant. keep pushing forward, like you said. Definitely. Like a magnifying glass. So why don't we do glass. this, Sal? Exactly. Definitely, um, you know, plug all the places people can find you at. Plug your, you know, your podcast, which is, uh, you know, going great for you, too, in terms of what you're doing with everything. Yeah, so plug all your different and social media pages, and um, we'll start to wrap things up. You mean an hour and 15 minutes? I, I need at least another five hours <laughs> of doing this show. we got to go. No, I'm kidding. Okay, all right. So, yes, Aww. everybody, I am Sal Searchia. I have my own radio show, like Carrie, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Sal Searchia Show. I'm getting phone calls while I'm on, on the show here. People are calling me on the cell phone. Uh, they're going to have to wait. <laughs> They're obviously not listening to the show if they're calling me on the cell, right? So, uh, we okay, I have my own radio show, Sal Searcher Show. Uh, if you can, go to the fan page and give it a like for me. Uh, also, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on MySpace, if people still know what that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do know what that um, is. I do know what that is. Yeah. I'm everywhere. You know, I guess I'm, I'm everywhere. You know, just Google me. And as I said, Google me, baby. And that is a million and on things YouTube, happening. Right? Did you say YouTube? Oh yes. I didn't say that. There? Over yeah, four, YouTube. Four hundred videos. Over four hundred videos on wow. YouTube. And it just keeps getting more and more. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not like the happening dude, baby. <laughs> you are. Yeah, baby. You definitely yeah. are. So. Oh it sounded good hearing <laughs> it from you. You gotta say that one oh, more time. No, you do it better. No, no, yeah, you gotta baby. say it one more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby. Oh, <laughs> 
Now, I got in front of me before we leave, I want to plug in one more time that I got your CD here. I love it. Some great oh, pictures you. of you in there, too. Yeah, well, I was listening to it again before, man. Leave It All Behind, Overcast, so many great songs. Another Life. Yeah. What is it? Thank I'll you. Ever. Yeah, Goodbye, Run. Oh, we got to say goodbye, too, because on that note, you got to wrap up the show. <laughs> but I had a wonderful time. But again, time. it was... Yeah, no, it was great having you on, so I'm finally getting a chance to talk to you, and we'll definitely be in touch off the air, too. And, um, yeah, I'm very excited to see what's in store for you next because you always have something new coming around the corner, and I want to wish you much continued success with all your acting and musical endeavors. And how before I leave, how could I forget? I'm working in a movie right now called The Monsters of Mulberry Street starring Eric Roberts Ooh. and uh, – a bunch of other people. So, yeah, that's that's happening right now. i got to shoot a few more scenes, and I should be done and collect my check. <laughs> Very cool. When does when does that, um, when do you expect that to come out? Uh, hopefully soon. I think, uh, well, they just um, signed on a few more actors, but I, hopefully they should be done soon. I don't know exactly when. But I, I did a bunch of scenes. I did two days. I'm going to do one more day. I should, be, I should be done unless they want me to do more. Cool. So that's going on right now. Monsters of Mulberry oh. Street. Nice. Yeah, well, congratulations with that. All right. So we will definitely bring you back on one day, okay, when you have some more stuff going on that you want to promote. We'll definitely do another interview at some point in the future. Sounds like a plan. One day you'll find I was the one, <laughs> but tomorrow may rain. So <laughs> All right. So go. whenever you want to wrap it up, just, like, cut me off because I'm not to stop. Aw. All right, Sal. Well, thank you so much for calling (laughs) in. I wish you much continued success, and uh, you and I will definitely be in touch. Sounds great. All right. Love you guys. Cheers, everybody. All right. Okay, Sal. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Sal Sertia. Definitely listen to the interview if you tuned in late. A podcast will be available after it is over, so you can download it or you can stream it. Again, check him out on YouTube, Facebook, go to the South Searchia Show, become a fan, check out his podcast. The guy, like you said, he's all over the place. He's everywhere. Um, so I don't have any interviews scheduled just yet. I have a ton in the works in terms of a long waiting list, so uh, we're definitely going to have some more bands coming back on and uh, other interesting uh, people in the entertainment industry. So please become a fan of The Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook. You can go to The Carrie Edelman Show and just click like. Also, I'm on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. And uh, lastly, I have two personal Facebook pages, so find the one that's not maxed out and definitely befriend me. I'd love to keep in touch with people that way too. So thank you, everyone, again, for the continued support of the show. One more plug I want to do, make sure you check out Davin's Den, which is a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Helix. So if you're looking for a show that can make you think and laugh at the same time, then Davin's Den is the show for you. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to watch live episodes here or watch old episodes or find more out about the show. Go to Davin's Den page at davincomedy.com. So Sal was so kind tonight for um, plugging my album that I have out. I'm going to close the show with one of the songs off of my album, uh, Another Life. And uh, this is the ballad. It's definitely one of my favorite. But if you're interested, it is a full-length 10-song album. You can check it out by going to iTunes, Amazon, all the major digital sites. The title of the album is called Leave It All Behind. And uh, check out Another Life. 
and we'll be back uh, probably the beginning of June. I will be off next week just because I know it's a busy weekend with the holiday coming up. So everyone have a happy Memorial Day, and um, here's another life. Thanks again for the support.